Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Luke tells us that uh, there was a census that Joseph and Mary had to participate in in Bethlehem. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. We don't know the exact reasons for the census. We do know that it was a common practice and likely had something to do with taxation and Roman politics. So what makes Bethlehem so significant? When you read scripture, you find out that Bethlehem's roots go deep into the Old Testament. Genesis tells us that Bethlehem is the burial place of Rachel, the beloved wife of Jacob. We're also told that this is the place that Naomi went back to with her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. Bethlehem is where Ruth met Boaz and where Boaz and Ruth were married. I mean, over and over again, Bethlehem comes up in the story of Israel. The blessing that Naomi gave to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, is may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Most significantly, the book of Ruth concludes by tracing the family line of Perez through Boaz to Jesse, the father of David. Luke 16 tells us that the prophet Samuel was sent to Bethlehem. And so in 1 Samuel 16.1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Interestingly, when Samuel shows up, he starts looking for this new king. And the son chosen wasn't the most kingly looking son. That would have been Eliab. When Samuel saw him, Samuel thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And 1 Samuel 6, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We're told that David wasn't even present. He wasn't even around. He had to be fetched from the fields where he was shepherding sheep. When David arrived from the fields, God directed Samuel to anoint him as king. And at the time, David nor his brothers seemed to realize that this is what was happening. That David was being anointed king of the Jews at Bethlehem, the city of David. 
He was anointed at Bethlehem, and in many ways, his story is the story of his journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, which is also the city of David. Now, if you bring that into the New Testament, that sounds familiar, because in many ways, the gospel story of Jesus starts in Bethlehem and then goes to Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, the prophet Micah prophesied in Micah 5.2, For from Bethlehem shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When you read the entire Christmas story, there's this question that comes up. Why did Herod kill the babies in Bethlehem two years and younger? I mean, it doesn't take a lot of figuring out. We know that we know that Herod was filled with paranoia. But he knew that the Jews believed that this ruler would come out of Bethlehem. And Matthew's doing something here that's really important. Matthew's helping his readers connect the birth of Christ to the Old Testament and to prophecy. If you look at the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah tells us that there will be a king in the line of David that will have the titles Mighty God and Prince of Peace. And we're also told that that this king will be born in a most unusual way. He will be born of a virgin. And so Matthew is doing something here to help us to be able to connect the birth of Christ to all of Israel's history, to everything that's happened. And Matthew's, Matthew's saying is, is hey, look, look back here, look at that, look at, look at that, those things that the prophet said, the, all of the connections to Israel's history, look at that, because that is this. That is this. And Matthew's helping his readers make these connections. And so the first, this is that, or that is this, is pointing us back to these prophecies. He's saying, listen up, listen up. This is what I'm telling you right now. Look at that and connect it to this. This Mary is the virgin that Isaiah talks about. This is the God child. This is the Prince of Peace. So this is the first that. Are you catching it? And he's pointing back to prophecies. I have got to fix that. I'm pressing the wrong button. I'm pressing the, <laughs> the ringer for my uncle. Now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Siri, you never do get it. But you sure do interrupt at inappropriate times. Okay, even though Siri doesn't get that, I hope you do. <laughs> so the first, this is that. And it's pointing us back to the prophecies. Now the second... This, this that's happening right now is connected to that, has to do with Bethlehem. The wise men know enough to know that Israel's prophets know that a Messiah will be born. And they believe that this star testifies to his birth, but they don't know that the Bible, that the Bible has more specific information. And so they come looking for more specific information. So they go to Jerusalem, likely thinking that if this king of the Jews is to be born, this king will probably 
be in Jerusalem. However, they start asking questions in order to find out for sure. And the current king of the Jews appears to want to help. History tells us that Herod was notoriously malicious and jealous. Herod murdered two of his sons, his wife Miriam, her brother, her grandfather, and her mother. And the older that he got, the more mentally and emotionally unstable that he became. And then we have this picture of Herod in Scripture is, is that he appears to be helpful. He doesn't know the answer that the Magi sought, so he beckons the religious leaders of the day. And they find the answer, and they point to the prophet Micah. And you can find this prophecy in Micah 5.2 and also 5.4. And they say when the Messiah comes, he'll be from Bethlehem, a small town about five miles south of Jerusalem, the same place where King David was born. Now this is Matthew's second. Hey, this, this right here points to that back there. So this is that. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. These are two very precise fulfillments of Scripture. Bethlehem means house of bread. And John recorded Jesus in John 6.35 saying, I am the bread of life. Just interesting connections. What's really interesting um, about this passage is that Herod pretends to be interested in Jesus. He even pretends to want to worship him. But we know that his pretending is just pretending. The truth is, is that he doesn't want competition for his throne. Even a hint of disloyalty and competition was always met with murder, which is why he murdered so many people, even his own family. When Matthew says that Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, it likely refers to Herod's murderous suspicion and jealousy. When Herod got disturbed, everyone got disturbed. The word disturbed in the original language means agitated, stirred up, shaken up. It conveys the idea of panic. That there was panic going on. Inside of Herod. His throne was in jeopardy. Herod is scared. Herod claimed to be Jewish. He actually wasn't. He was Idiomean. His father Antipater had done some favors for Rome. And as a result, he was given more and more influence. He married into Judaism. He called himself king of the Jews. So it's no wonder that he panicked when he heard someone else had been born king of the Jews. Someone else that likely had a more rightful claim to the throne. He was threatened by a baby. Herod's paranoia is legendary. He was a brutal and merciless man. And when the Magi didn't return, he was furious. Matthew 2, 16 through 18 says, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, 
He was furious, and he gave orders to kill the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Merry Christmas. What Herod did was horrific, but I don't want to focus on that. Instead, I want to ask the question, what's going on here in this passage? Who is this Rachel? Some people have accused Matthew of trying to find prophetic links where there are none. But follow me. How does this tragedy connect to Rachel and to the prophecy? And how do both of them point to Jesus? This prophecy is actually from Jeremiah 31.15. When Jeremiah speaks of Rachel, he's referring to the mother of Israel, the wife of Jacob. And if you read the Old Testament story of Rachel, you find out that Rachel died while giving birth to Benjamin. But in Jewish history, Rachel is given a symbolic role for God's people. She's known as the sorrowful mother, as well as the mother of Israel for all of time. And Rachel dies where? She dies, and and there's a little bit of history here, but she dies on the road to Bethlehem. Is some say Ramah, uh, which is on the road to Bethlehem. Some say just outside of Bethlehem. But she dies on the road to Bethlehem. Now, think about this. Is as she's dying, her midwife tries to comfort her in her weeping with the news that she is having a son. And the midwife hints that, that this son contains hope. And then she dies. Now fast forward to Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah pictures Rachel weeping for her children. But this time, it's not weeping for this child or weeping as a result of this this birth. This time, she's weeping for her children, which is all of Israel. And Jeremiah is picturing her weeping as the children of Israel are being led into Babylonian captivity. When the Babylonian army captures Jerusalem, God's now captive people were marched outside of Jerusalem. And it's while they're being marched away that Jeremiah pictures Rachel weeping for her children. And in Jeremiah 31, Rachel's tears are the tears of exile. And then connect that to Matthew. In Matthew, the tears are the tears of the mothers of Bethlehem. And there's something that's going on here that Matthew wants us to pick up on. Yes, he wants us to pick up on the tears. That there has been a trail of tears. And this trail of tears is pictured by Rachel crying. But there's something else that's going on here. Is the trail of tears is ending. 
Jeremiah is full of mourning. If you read Jeremiah, it's actually pretty depressing. Uh, Jeremiah was the most unsuccessful minister in, in history, one might say. He spent, he's called the weeping prophet. It, it sounds like he had zero converts during his entire ministry. And Jeremiah can be hard to read. It can be, it can be really hard to read, discouraging, disappointing. In fact, you get this picture of the weeping prophet, and it makes you want to mourn. But Jeremiah 31 is different. It's different because there's a hint of hope there. There's something going on in Jeremiah 31. Because in Jeremiah 31, well, there's this reference to the tears of Rachel. It also tells, it also tells of a time where there will be hope. And so in Jeremiah 31, 16, the, the prophet, hearing the voice of the Lord, says, Restrain your voice from weeping. Your children will return from the land of the enemy. There's a hint of hope. Jeremiah even prophesied, set up road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, the road you take, because one day you will return. I will bring you back from captivity, and more so the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with my people. And this is, this is, this is what Matthew is quoting. He's quoting, quoting Jeremiah 31. And so right after Matthew's quote from Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's words, Keep your voice from weeping. Now, here's the thing. If you look at this in Matthew, there's a promise in Jeremiah 31 is, is that the people return from exile. And it's interesting because when you look in Matthew, the very next passage says, Herod died. And the voice of the Lord came to Joseph and said, Get up, take the child and his mother. And go back to Israel. Why? Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus were in exile. And they're returning to Israel. You know, here's the thing. Herod missed Christmas. Even the religious leaders missed Christmas, so to speak. Even the religious leaders, even though they knew what Scripture said about the Messiah and where the Messiah would be born, is, is they missed Christmas. They missed the significance of it. Herod violently kicked against it. As I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking, don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss the plans and the purposes of God for you. Because really, that's, that's what Matthew wants us to understand. Matthew is making a de- declaration here. He's, he's making a declaration from God. Is that everything that's happened has a purpose, and there's a plan in everything. And, and that's, that's very much why Scripture is so important for us to pay attention to, is, is there's plans and there's purposes of God, and they will not be thwarted is that the word of God, when it goes out, it will not return void. It will achieve every every plan and every purpose that's there. You can trust it, spend your time in it, get to know scripture, live it. But in addition, 
In addition, there's a declaration from God, the exile is over. It's over. There is a new king and there's a new covenant and you are invited into it. Move out of your exile. Move out of your exile. Exile in the Bible is always connected to sin. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were what? They were exiled from the garden because of their sin. They could never go back. And so what is exile? Exile in scripture always has to do with judgment of sin. In the Old Testament, when God allowed the people of Israel to be exiled, it was connected to sin. He allowed for judgment to come so that they could understand what happens when we turn away from the Lord. The other characteristic of exile is separation. You're separated from the land. You're separated from from your place of being. You're separated. You're separated from your home. And so exile always has to do with separation. So it has to do with judgment for sin and it has to do with separation. But the third characteristic of exile is that it's a tool to spur on repentance. It's something that, that turns us to the Lord, not away from the Lord. Now, here's the truth is, is circumstances, if we, if we live in our circumstances in the wrong way, we'll become angry and bitter and we'll turn away from the Lord. But, but the truth is, is bad circumstances are an opportunity for God to work and an opportunity for us to say is, is Lord, what are you doing here? And we always want to change our circumstances and God always wants to change our character. And he always wants us to understand that we're called as his, trust me, trust me, turn to me. Regardless of how bad things get, I have a plan. I have my purposes. They will be fulfilled in spite of everything that you feel like is happening. But this tool for repentance. Now, how does this relate to the Christmas story? There is tragedy. The tragedy of Christmas and the trail of tears and the weeping reminds us of the sorrow and the weeping that we experience this side of heaven. It reminds us that we live in exile. That in, to some extent we're separated from our Father in heaven. Now that's spiritually true until we put our faith in Jesus. And our exile reminds us that we are in sin and that we're separated from God. But it points us to a Savior who can save us from our sins, which is throughout the Christmas story is, is his name will be called Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. So we're called to repent. This side of heaven, there will be sorrow and there will be weeping. At the same time, there is hope because we have a better king and we have a new covenant. And it's a covenant that is literally in Jesus. That we come into relationship with him and this new covenant 
comes through his gift as the Lamb of God. We have a better king and a new covenant, and the king is simultaneously the good shepherd who cares for the sheep, and he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Will you come out of exile? Will we live in the redeemed, restored call that God gives to us? There's hope. There's a new king. There's a new covenant. And so my prayer today, as you celebrate Christmas, is that you'll understand that everything that happened in the past, all of that points to this. This Jesus, this promise, this new covenant, that we are no longer in exile. That we have been brought in to God's kingdom by Jesus. And when we put our faith in him, that he gives us the right to be called children of God. Let's pray. Father and Lord God, you're so good and you're so gracious, Lord. And Lord, I just continually think of is, is that when I look at scripture, it's so awesome to see all of the angles. And they all point us to you. And to your goodness and your grace and your work. Father, I pray that we wouldn't miss Christmas. That we wouldn't miss the significance of all that you've done. All of that way back in history, your history. And how you tied it all to this. This Jesus, this birth. This hope that we have. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, he's the Savior who saves you from all of your sins. And you're just called to have faith and just say, yeah, I believe that I need a Savior. And it's just as simple as saying, as is Jesus, be my Savior, forgive me for all of my sins. I want to follow you. I pray that the cry of our heart would be, is, is a cry that moves us from Exile to home, to being children with God. In this side of heaven, there will be some sorrow and some tears, but we're always pointed to the hope that we have in Jesus. And then there will be a day when we will wipe every tear from our eyes. And we will be with him, and he will be our God. We will be his people. Lord, thank you. Lord, maybe you be honored and glorified by our worship today by our time in your word, and Lord, by the rest of our Christmas celebrations. Help us to be the light of Jesus in our very broken world. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.